So do we want to get like this? Okay, no, that's that's too that's too close. Like, come on, John, come, no. come here, come here, come here, come here. I want to see. No, we're not doing that. Okay, do you want to introduce what we're doing here? Okay, um, today we're talking about John 11. We're going to read it and then discuss what stands out. So my my original idea was to do a... Oh, what it means to believe a year later. That's right. Right. So okay. our podcast opened with us looking at the question, what does it mean to believe? And here we are almost a year and a half later answering the same question and this time we're going to use John chapter 11 to try to answer that question and see what observations we can draw out here. So John 11. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, Let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. And are you going to there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought he meant taking rest in sleep. Then Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus has died, and for your sake I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. So Thomas, called the twin, or in the footnote, Didymus, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were, the, who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep, to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. 
When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, Take the stone away. Martha and the sister of the dead man, or Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead for four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he said these things, he cried out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips, and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to him, Unbind him and let him go. Was there anything that like just immediately struck you in this story? One thing, um, verse 5, it says, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And then verse 6, So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Yeah. He loved them, so he didn't go to them. What does that mean? Right. Like, why? What? Because he loved them, he did not go to help Lazarus. Okay, so to use a hypothetical scenario, say your best friend is sick, mm-hmm. and you know that I have the antidote to cure him, okay? Yeah. And you give me a time limit. If you don't come with me in the next 12 hours, he's going to die. And you know that me being your brother loves you, wants the best for you, right? And say I know your friend too, and I love your friend too, and I want the best for him. When you come to me, you expect that I'm going to come with you with the antidote that I have to cure him. Yeah. And you expect that. Why? What is your reason for expecting that? Because I assume that healing them is better than letting them die. You assume that I care about your wants, right? And I care about your friend's desires, too. And why do you assume that? What makes you think that I care? Do you not? (laughs) But what would make you think that I care? Everything you've said and done. Like, you've shown that you love me. Okay. I think it's the love. And it says here, verse 5, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus so when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. I think our natural human expectation here is to think Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. He should go, right? Yeah. Because of love, because he cares about them. And it just it's just interesting to me that this, Jesus staying where he was two more year two more days, is his act of love. It, like this is him loving them. It says Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he stayed where he was two more days, or so when he heard this, he stayed where he was two more days. Like, and it's like, okay, say I'm married and I say, I love my wife. So what? So I go get her flowers. So I go do things that show her that I love her. I think this is saying the same thing. Jesus loved them. So he did this and he's doing this out of love. And it doesn't seem to them at this point to be love yeah and i mean i think even today it kind of doesn't really seem like love 
we kind of look back on it and we're like, so we just like let them go through all that grief, through all that pain of death, through all the expense of burial, mm-hmm. just to teach them a little lesson? Are you kidding me? And it doesn't seem very loving. And then I've also found it always so weird and out of place. Verse 16. So Thomas called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. What does that have to do with like this story? And do they really mean that? Because, I mean, later on, they don't die with Jesus. Right. When Jesus dies. Well, that's that's what he sa- he has to say to get them to go with him. Because if you look at verse 8, he says, or the disciples say, but Rabbi, a short while ago, the, Jew- the Jews tried to stone you, and yet you were going back there. And so they think he's walking into his death because they think he's going to be stoned. Yeah. And so they're calling it for what it is and saying, let's go. Because if he goes, we're going to die. Let's go die with him. I know, but what changed from them saying it now versus later than they're actually faced with it? I don't know. Uh, but that's something I wanted to, to hit on also. Two things that Jesus does in this opening part really make no sense. And we talked about one of them already. So when Jesus heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. That doesn't make sense to the sisters. Yeah. Because we're going to find a little bit further on, Martha says to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Jesus staying where he was two more days does not make sense. Jesus going to Judea after two days doesn't make sense to the disciples. Verse 8, but Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews tried to stone you, and yet you were going back there. And it's interesting that God chooses to work in ways that don't make sense to us. And in the book of John, you'll find over and over again, a lot of things Jesus does confuses his disciples. And they're constantly just baffled by things that he says. Look at the confusion. Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, verse 11, but I'm going there to wake him up. And they think he's speaking literally. They say, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. But Jesus had been speaking of his death. Why doesn't he address the disciples from their perspective? Because if you, if you look at verse 14, it says, so he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I was glad I was not there, or I'm glad I was not there, so that you may believe but let us go to him. Okay. Another question. doesn't really have to do with that question. Okay. Unless you have something, an answer. I don't have an answer. Okay. What's the significance of four days? I don't know for sure. I believe the fourth day was considered the day when a dead body would start decaying. Yeah. So verse 17, on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. So at this point, Lazarus is dead, dead. And then look at what Martha does. It says, Martha heard that Jesus was coming, and she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. And what we see throughout this this story is just the reaction and the personalities of these two sisters really contrasted with each other. Martha and Mary, two sisters in the same family, but Martha goes out to meet him, and Mary stays at home. And then Martha says to Jesus, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. What do you think about that that statement? But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Is this a statement 
of her saying to Jesus, I know that even if you will that Lazarus rises from the dead right now, he will. Is this a statement of faith saying that, like, I believe you have power to raise him from the dead? Or what is she saying here? If it's not a statement of faith, what is it? I don't know. Just based on her actions later in the chapter, I don't know if I if I really think that this is a, a statement of faith. Because remember when Jesus commands her to roll away the stone, she says, but Lord, he's been in there for four days. Almost as if she's resistant to him doing the miracle. I don't think so. So what is this? I think she just doesn't see it. You know, John, he was writing to an audience that was mixed Jews and Gentiles. Okay. And I think he's, I don't really have any evidence to back this up, but I think he's playing on the difference between Jewish thought and Greek thought and contrasting the two like groups of people in the characters of Mary and Martha. Like okay. He's highlighting their personalities to highlight the differences in worldviews between Jews and Greek. What is Martha's worldview? So Martha goes out to meet him. Right. It's like she, she knows the theology. She says, even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. And then he says, I know that he will rise again on the resurrection of the last day. And she says, yes, Lord, I believe this. She's very active in her knowledge and mm-hmm. in her her doctrine, okay. too. Also, looking at other stories of uh, Mary and Martha, cut this out if I'm wrong, but isn't, Martha, isn't there one story where Mary uh, anoints Jesus with oil and wiped his feet with her hair while like Martha's doing chores or something? You're thinking of two different instances. There is one story, it's found in Luke chapter 10, where Martha is doing chores and preparing the house for while Mary's Jesus's talking to Jesus. While Mary's sitting at Jesus' feet and yeah. listening to him. Okay. And so you see the personalities highlighted again in that story. Yes. Martha being more active, still serving God, like physically serving the Lord. Yes, doing things. Doing things. And Mary's just sitting there. Right. And you see whenever Mary, like, she she stays behind in this story and then kind of comes out whenever they're like, hey, I think Jesus kind of wants to see you. And that's when she comes out. Right. And it's just broken heart and just, like, doesn't really say much. She's like, oh, Lord, if you had been here, he'd still be alive. Then he's just like, okay, where where'd you lay him down? He doesn't go into this whole, do you believe I'm the Christ? He treats them very differently. Right, he treats them very differently. And I think, like, growing up, I think we always thought, oh, Martha is wrong. Mary is right. I don't know. I think it's just they are different people. Okay. Like, they have different personalities. Let me say this. The church today seems you, seems to want us to be like Martha. And to want us to go out there and be strong in our faith and say, God... You know, this horrible thing just happened, but even now I know that you can change the circumstances and you can do whatever you're, whatever pleases you. And just to exercise this strong faith and to show that despite our discouragement, our faith is strong. I feel like that's what a lot of Christians would say. This is how you need to react. Yeah. But I, I want to note, just because this really bothers me, that a lot of times saying, I, I know that even now, 
God will give you whatever you ask. If we're really discouraged in a circumstance where God hasn't answered our prayers, we don't say that from a heart of truth. And we don't say that from our true selves. I say we put on a facade and we say, I'm going to make it. I'm going to be strong. I'm going to tough it out. But, but we're not honest with ourselves. Because if I think, I think if we were honest with ourselves, we might look at our own hearts and say, I don't really believe this. Like, I don't know why you let this happen. I don't know why you stayed where you were for two more days. And just the way you did this, it doesn't feel like you love me. Like, it says that you love me, right? But it doesn't feel like this just based on what you've done. I think, like, man, maybe we need to be honest with ourselves and how we just feel about these things. And as and we, when we see ourselves for who we are, I think we, we also see God for who he really is. And so he's, Mary says to him, but I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Or Martha says that. Sorry, Martha says that. And then Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And then Martha answered, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. I know that everyone else, like there's someday coming in the future and it's this abstract day in the future and this day good that it may be doesn't get doesn't bring me comfort to where i am right now yeah. it's just out there and then jesus has an interesting response verse 25 jesus said to her i am the resurrection yeah. and the life that's a weird statement i am the resurrection that's weird yeah john does like a lot of his gospels centered around different I am statements. Right. I am the resurrection of life. I'm the bread of life. All of these. I am, I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world. So what does he mean when he says I My, am the resurrection? There's probably a lot of different levels of interpretation there. The first thing that comes to mind is he's refuting her. Uh, I think it's two part eschatology. Like saying that the world will come and then there will be a final day. And then after that day, the kingdom of God is perfect and here and holy and will last forever. Okay. And then there's like a another, I don't remember what it's called, but eschatology where it's saying there will be a day and then the kingdom of God will grow and grow and grow. Okay. And then there will come a time when that is complete. And that is when the kingdom of God will be here. So some people say he's refuting her eschatology. That's what he's doing saying this. What do you say? What do I say? Yeah. I mean, maybe. It also doesn't make sense when he says, I am a concept of resurrection. I mean, you can be a carpenter. You can be a human, but you can't really be a resurrection. You can't be, a re- you can't be resurrection. That doesn't make sense. How does, yeah, what does he mean by that? I mean, you could probably even, like, it, you, you could more likely be bread. Because, like, you could dress up as bread, but you can't really dress up as resurrection. Okay, so that that has nothing to do. What is resurrection? Well, it's life after death. Is that resurrection? I don't know. It's like rising again. This really reminds me of something that he says in John chapter 17. This is John 17:1. Jesus looked toward heaven and prayed, "Father, the time has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you, for you granted him authority over all people." that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. And we have a tendency to think eternal life is something that you have 
after death and it's somewhere out there yeah it's somewhere apart from me where jesus is saying right here this is eternal life that they may know you the only true god and jesus christ whom you've sent eternal life is found in knowing god yeah and, and this is what jesus is saying in john eleven twenty five. i am the resurrection and i am the life if you're gonna have life again if you're going to rise again, if dead things are going to come back to life, and if you're going to have life in abundance now, it's, be- it's because you, you know me, because I am this life. I am that which life emanates from. Yeah. And I'm the source of all of this. And that John 17 quote, he doesn't say this is how you gain eternal life. He says this is eternal life right that they may know this is eternal life this is life without end knowing god and that's it and if you look at luke chapter 10 which is the a, a different story we have of mary and martha where these two sisters are are contrasted with their, with each other i'm just going to read it real quick it says as jesus and his disciples were on their way they came to a village where a woman named martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you were worried and upset about many things, but one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken away from her. He says one, one thing, thing is needed. needed. One thing is needed. One thing in life will give you life, right? And he says in John 17, this is eternal life, to know God. So was Jesus in that story telling Martha to just not do any sort of preparations and to just also sit at his feet? I don't know. I know, like, I heard this from Chuck Swindoll one, one time. Like, he said... If you want to hear from God, God won't speed up to walk with you. You slow down to walk with him and to listen to him. And maybe he's telling that to Martha right now. Is before you do the preparations and before you do all this, come listen to me and come hear what I have to say. Because when you're doing all these preparations, you're distracted. You're doing this for a reason and you're worried about many things. And you're worried for a reason, right? Like you do these preparations so that your home will look nice, so that you'll be a good host, so that the neighborhood around will know that you're a good host, so that your reputation won't be diminished, so that you'll feel that you have value, but but value is found in him. But you are also giving her motivations that we don't know that she has. What if her motivation is, I want to serve Jesus? Like, I want for this to be the best state he has ever had. I would ask why. Why does she want that? Because does he need it? Like, does does God need anything from us? He has everything. He didn't create us because he needed us. He doesn't need to be served, but he came to serve. That's true. I mean, when uh, David wants to build a temple, God says, I don't need a temple. I have a tent, and it's pretty fine. David is also the person in... Psalm chapter 27, talking about this one thing that Jesus says is needed. Psalm 27, 4. One thing 
I ask of the Lord. This is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord, and to seek him in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. David is acquainted with this one thing. And this one thing that he talks about, Luke chapter 10, Psalm 27, I think humans need one thing upon which they are grounded and after which they are in pursuit, toward which their eyes are always directed and they're always looking. They're tell us, right? The end of us. I think we need one thing that our lives are about before we go and make preparations and before we busy ourselves with things to do. We need to be centered. This is something that Ben Stewart likes to talk about. There's a concept in the military, or there's a saying in the military that goes, slow is smooth and smooth is fast. And what Ben Stewart says is that when he has a really busy day ahead of him, he'll look at the day and he, he'll say to himself, there's, there's not time to not pray. I have to slow down and I have to bring everything to God Otherwise, I will live the day stressed and anxieties will overwhelm me. And because of this, I won't even be as productive. Slow is smooth, smooth is fast. I need to slow down to bring my worries to God, to lay them at his feet, to listen to what he has to say before I can go out and be productive. And Martha in Luke 10 and even just hints of what she says in John 11 reminds me of the person who hasn't yet slowed down. She immediately comes to Jesus and says, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And then she goes on to say, I believe in the, in the last day he will rise again. But he says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. In essence, you think this, but do you know who I am? Do you know that right now I have the power to bring him back? I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? And at this moment, when he confronts her with the question, do you believe this? She used to stop and think. And she says, yes, Lord. And she confesses that she does believe that he's the Christ, the Son of God, who was to come into the world. Remember, our goal in this podcast is to answer the question, what does it mean to believe? Martha here claims to believe. And I think we're going to see by her actions whether or not she really does. And then just before we get to Martha's speaking again, verse 32, it says, When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Notice that's the exact same thing that she says, that, or that Martha says in verse 21, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Except Mary doesn't continue on to say, but I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. She stops right there. Would you say this is a point of despair? Like what, what sort of attitude is Martha or Mary saying this out of? I think that she's probably feeling the same thing as Martha. It was both their brother. He just died. And they are both upset. And it's just their reactions are different. They start out the same thing. And then Martha just needs to keep talking. So you don't think one, then, one person's reaction is the better reaction, the healthier reaction? 
I didn't say that. But I do think you're being too hard on Martha. I don't like Martha's reaction. I know you don't. I, re- I know you really don't. But Jesus still loves Martha. Yeah, he does. She confesses that he's Christ. And I think there are, like, I know there are some people who it is harder for them to slow down than for other people. Like, we don't, it's not, it's not equal. There's no equal, oh, everyone struggles the exact same amount with this thing. And condemning someone because they have a harder, like, they have a bigger gap in coming to grips with this. I think a lot of people can be alienated by that. And I think we need to be patient. See, it just seems to me that Martha's not intact with how she's feeling, but Mary is. And that's why she's okay think, with feeling sad. I think Martha sad. is trying to get her head knowledge to comfort her heart. She's trying and but trying But it doesn't trying. work. That doesn't work. But can you blame her for trying? No, I can't. But it says, when Jesus saw her, Mary, weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? And so you see again two reactions from a crowd of people. Verse 36, some of them say, See how he loved them. Verse 37, but some of them said, Could not he have kept this man from dying? The contrasts in this story are interesting. But continuing on, verse 38, Jesus once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take the stone away, he said. And then look at Martha's reaction. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad odor, for he has been there four days. Verse 40, then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? Okay, so Martha says, as she did earlier, but I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. And yet in verse 39, it looks like she has some sort of resistance to rolling the stone away. Will, in light of what she says in verse 39, do you still think that what she says in verse 22 but I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask is a statement of belief and faith and that you can raise this man from the dead. I don't know. Why do you think Martha is resistant to doing this? Part of me thinks she doesn't know what he's doing. Like, why do you want to smell that smell? She doesn't know he's about to raise him up. Okay. She also isn't. She seems more closed-minded, so she doesn't even think that's... Like, she doesn't even think, like, oh, yeah, no, he could raise him up, like, right now. Like, she just didn't even think about that. Okay. So, you're saying it didn't even cross her mind that Jesus can do this, and that Jesus' intention is to to call this man back to life right now. I don't know. I mean, maybe. He says to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God Verse 40. When did he tell her that? We have the account, verse 23 through 25, of what Jesus says to Martha. Where does he say to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? 
And it's interesting the precedence he puts on here on belief. He says, if you believed, you would see. That is, before you will see it, you have to believe it. And this reminds me of the story that you can find in Exodus 13, where the Israelites are leaving the land of Egypt and Moses is leading them out. And you would think that the way to get from Egypt to the land of Canaan, now the land of Israel, is to go north along the border of the Mediterranean Sea. Which th- that is the fastest way to get from Egypt to Israel. But Moses doesn't do that because God tells him, don't go north, don't go this way, don't go the most direct way, don't go the fastest way. No, you're going to go south. And you're going to go and stand right in front of this sea while the army is in cl- is closing in behind you in, in fast pursuit. And I want you to stop in front of the sea. And how, what do you think the Israelites thought of that? This is insane. We have a quick way to get to, to, to the land where we're going if we just go north. And, and yet you've led us to the sea. And it looks like we're about to die because the army is, is closing in behind us. And they're about to kill us. But what happens? They cross the Red Sea. It's parted. Walk on dry land. They get to a situation in which the only way they're going to get out victorious is through the power of God. And we've talked about this before. With the Gideon story. And in 2 Corinthians, I believe it's chapter 12, when Paul says, When I am weak, then I am strong. Because his power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses. And it's just interesting that so many times throughout the Bible, God leads these people, he leads his people into situations in which they can no longer rely on themselves, in which God's power, only God's power can be displayed at the crossing of the Red Sea. And here, when Jesus, though he loved them, and because he loved them actually, because he loved them, he stays where he is two more days and displays his power in this, in this circumstance. Did I not say that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? And so what happens? What happens next? Verse 41, so they took away the stone. And this has struck me as the answer to the question, what does it mean to believe? So they took away the stone. That, I think, is a is a demonstration of belief. That is a demonstration of taking Jesus, taking God at his word and doing what he says and letting him work because what he asked them to do is take away the stone and they believe him and so they do. What do you think of that? So what it means to believe is taking away a stone from a gravesite. Yeah. So we just need to go start stealing head headstones. Okay. It also means standing still in front of a sea with your enemies closing in behind you. Okay. It also means going to the Midianite camp with 300 men and lamps and jars of clay. Yeah. It so, means walking around the walls of Jericho seven times and then shouting. So what does it mean? I mean, what are all those what do all those things have in common? Is that unless God breaks the laws of nature, you lose. But if he's with you, and if he has willed this, there's nothing more glorious because his power is displayed. And truly, what Jesus says in John eleven four, 4, this sickness will not end in death, 
No, it is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. That comes to fruition when all you do is look at Him and step out onto the water, even though like you know that unless He gives you the ground to walk on, you're going to sink. What does that look like? Do you mean for us? Yes. I think it means living in the will of God. There's no place safer than the will of God. Like I've heard that said before. I think it means living to a point where like you're not living a life that you could live without faith. I was listening to a talk by Ben Stewart last night. He was talking about when he was the director of Breakaway Ministries at Texas A&M. He had a fruitful ministry and he had everything going for him. Except he took a step back and he looked and talked to his wife about this and said, you know, everything we're doing right now, we could be doing and, and not live a life of faith. Like we could be doing without faith in God. We could be doing the administrative work. We could be talking and speaking every week. There's no faith being exercised here. So what did he do? He moved to Washington, D.C. And he, he asked God, where do you want me to go? And he moved, traveled around the country praying, around, praying for different cities and just felt like God called him to Washington, D.C. And now he's there as pastor of Passion City Church and like living in faith. But it means not being comfortable. And it means living a life where like unless God's real and unless you have a relation, relationship with him, you're losing. But if he is, you're, you, there's nothing better you can do. And it's just it's this huge risk. If you look at it in through the eyes and through the lens of a naturalistic worldview and through the world's eyes, who would say like God's not there or if he is, he's he's backed away. He doesn't care. He's not for you. He's not with you. And faith is going against the grain because we know that one person plus God is a majority against any single army out there. And verse 43, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus come out and the dead man came out that's amazing i've heard someone say before that if he hadn't specified the person he was talking to everyone who had ever died would come out (laughs) that if he hadn't said lazarus the resurrection would have taken place a little bit earlier but he says lazarus come out and what happens the inanimate body like the inanimate objects in the world around us they obey him, the wind and the waves. They're silenced when he says, be muzzled. And the dead man walks out of the grave when he says, come out. And it's just amazing to look at that and to say like, that God created everything around us. That's the God that like, we can get to know through this word. And that's also the God that sent his son to die from us, to die for us, right? Because like, take look at this, every single instance in the Bible you have of someone being raised from the dead, right? Like you have two instances in the book of Acts. You have multiple instances in Jesus's ministry. You have several instances in the book of first Kings with Elijah. And I believe Elisha raising people from the dead. I thought only Elijah did it. And it was one time. I might be wrong. Okay. So maybe only Elijah. You have Jesus raising a little girl from the dead and all three of the synoptic gospels. You have Jesus raising a widow's son from the dead in the book of Luke. You have Peter raising a woman called Dorcas from the dead. You have Paul raising someone from the dead later in the book of Acts. And in each of these instances, there's someone doing the raising. There's someone praying to God 
and commanding that this person sit up, come to life, be brought back, right? Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. But who told Jesus to come out of the grave? Like there was no one there saying, Jesus, come out. He came out on his own. And that's, that's interesting. Like who has the life, who, whose life emanates from, the, to, from them to a point at which, man, you don't have to command them to rise from the dead. Or like they do. Like death could not contain him because life emanated from him. And that's, that's the power of God. And that's who he is. So uh, in light of this, how would you answer the question, what does it mean to believe? I liked what you said. It means to live a life that you couldn't live if you didn't have faith. Dang. She said, day, get your own definition. <laughs> yeah, because that's not easy. That's the hardest thing you can do in life is take risks based on a, a world that, that is invisible and a God that you you don't see yeah but who and you just you have faith in what what's crazy is you may have like you may just think maybe this is what god wants me to do but how do i know yeah yeah mary heard jesus martha and mary heard jesus say take away the stone i mean that hearing the voice pretty straightforward right but hearing the voice of God for us is a lot different, which is, I think, a, another talk in and of itself. But was there anything else you wanted to talk about? No. Okay, me neither. All right, until next time. See ya.